1: with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of david they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom as for the enemies of freedom those who are potential adversaries they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the american people we will negotiate for it sacrifice for it we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans.
0: This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host,
2: Bob Franz. And a good morning to you, seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're underway on this Tuesday, the very first morning. Of the third month of the year of our Lord 2022. Let's make it count. Fat Tuesday, if you will. Uh, go get your poonski on. Uh, I guess that's what we do on Fat Tuesdays, right? And if you're going to do that, by the way, no better place to do it, especially if you're out Lorraine County way than Gibson's Bakery in Oberlin. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal place. Ten different varieties of poonski. Go get it on because then tomorrow. Uh, we got to start dialing it back a little bit, Ash Wednesday. So uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Coming up on the program in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. It's been a little bit since we've talked to Dr. Tenpenny. And we're going to talk with her about this international treaty that is being put together and being supported um, by the World Health Organization it's a treaty on pandemic prevention and preparedness. In other words, we are going to become globalists as it pertains to our health. And if the uh, World Health Organization, by way of this treaty, declares to be there to be a worldwide pandemic, are we going to have to adopt rules that are decided and made uh, by, by uh, people outside of the United States? Quite frankly, I'm already not really thrilled with adopting the rules made by those in the United States, looking at some of the leadership that we had during the, uh, uh, the pandemic in 2020 and 2021. But now we're going to have to listen to other countries. Is that what this is? We're going to talk, talk to Dr. Uh, T- uh, Tenpenny about that coming up. That's going to be a problem, particularly when the rest of the world says, yes, mandatory vaccines on an international basis. Is that where this is headed? It is entirely possible. So we're looking forward to that conversation with Dr. Tenpenny. We're also going to talk uh, to her about the investors who were just... And this, by the way, should let you know that they're going to start declaring the pandemic over and they're going to allow Joe Biden to take a victory lap and be the president who defeated COVID. That's how they're going to paint this. You know that, right? Here's how you know that's what's going to happen. Throughout the entirety of the... um, Uh, Pandemic, as it was declared, Pfizer and Moderna were making money hand over fist, billions of dollars per quarter, right? Headline this week, Pfizer and Moderna investors run for the exits. People are starting to sell off and dump their Moderna and Pfizer stock. Why would that be? Because Pfizer and Moderna have let it be known that the pandemic is over, they're not going to be able to push this any longer. They're not going to be able to demand and forcibly jab people in perpetuity any longer. At least that's their belief right now, because the, the, the if you're trying to figure out what's going to happen, if you're looking for a way to project what's actually going to happen um, as it pertains to pandemic rules and so on and so forth, look no further than the money. Look at what the money says. The money says Moderna and Pfizer are going down. And if Moderna and Pfizer stock are going down, that means they're going to declare, essentially, the pandemic to be over. Now, they'll still use the fear-mongering when it's good for them, and they will, of course, erase it when it's not. For example, tonight, State of the Union Address. Told you about this yesterday, right? State of the Union Address is tonight. And suddenly, Congress, which has lived in fear and has scolded. Now, this 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 is great. This is super telling. Congressional Democrats just a couple of weeks ago, you may or may not recall, condemned and scolded uh, certain conservative members of the Supreme Court for not wearing masks during their uh, during their meetings and during their sessions because Sonia Solomayor apparently has a condition, that makes her a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more uh, uh, you know, likely to suffer bad reactions or serious you know, illness from COVID-19. And so they tried, congressional Democrats tried to scold Neil Gorsuch for refusing to wear a mask, even though it put Sonia Sotomayor in, in you know, very serious jeopardy health-wise. It's a load of crap. Because they both of them actually came out and said that and said that is absolutely not true. John Roberts, the chief justice, said, no, that's not true. But this is what Democrats do. They try to guilt people. They tried to guilt people while they virtue-signaled with their masks on, guilt people who were not wearing their masks, into, into being killers, telling them, you are killing people if you don't put your mask on. You're sharing this deadly virus. You know you're doing it, blah, blah, blah. So Congress, of course, Nancy Pelosi, had a mask requirement Uh, for pretty much the last two years, and now that Joe Biden's going to give his speech and he's going to try to convince tens of millions of Americans on TV tonight that he's not 37% popular, (laughs) he's got a 37% approval rating. Absolutely abysmal. I mean, I can't describe to you how bottomed out that number really is. 37% approval. But he's going to try to convince everybody that he's doing a great job tonight. And the one thing they don't want is the optics of half of the chamber covered in masks and the other half not. Or everybody being required to wear masks. And most Americans who are done with Omicron and done with masking and forced vaccination and so on and so forth, they don't want them getting more and more angry. They already know that this is not a popular issue for, uh, for Democrats. That's why numerous big city uh, urban centers with democrat mayors and blue states have dropped their mask requirements over the course of the last month or so they are we're now nine months away from the mid- midterm elections and they know this is deeply unpopular with america uh, popular with americans so they're gonna get slaughtered they're gonna get just completely drowned by that uh, that red tsunami and so they're dropping their mask mandates so i find all of this very very fascinating so Moderna and Pfizer, are drop, uh, their stocks are being dumped like crazy. Uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Tenpenny about all of that. That's coming up at 9.35. Then at 10.10, we'll talk to Peter Kersenow, as we do each and every Tuesday. People will talk to us about his take uh, on uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and tonight's State of the Union address and what we can expect. Here's what we can expect right now at 9.13. We can expect to rise. Patriots, go ahead and stand up if you don't mind. Face your flag if you have one, and I will remind you again, I am collecting flag photographs to be displayed in a gallery on my webpage, which is going to be launched within the next, what is today, Tuesday? I think we're looking at Monday, so six days uh, at alwaysrate.us. But we're going to uh, uh, put a a big uh, collection of the flags that you stand and face whenever you do the Pledge of Allegiance with us on this program each and every morning. Uh, send those flag pictures, whatever it is. Some people have stickers of flags. Some people have actual flags in their front yard or on their porch, or whatever the case might be. But whatever you see, whatever you view when you are doing our, our um, pledge of allegiance every day, send that picture to me. Do it on Facebook, just by going to Insta Messenger, search my name, and send it to me as a message. As a message, you don't have to be a Facebook friend of mine to make that happen. Or send it to me on Getter, which is my other social media account, or on Instagram. Find me on Instagram at Always Right. Always write WHK on Instagram. You can send me your photographs of what you say the pledge to each and every day. With that, patriots, go ahead and rise, put your hand on your heart, and let's do that. Leftists, if you're part of the 37% that still think Joe Biden is doing a decent job, well, you have no earthly idea what this country stands for anyway, so you don't have to pledge. You're welcome to, of course, but you'll probably feel more comfortable on a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For everybody else,
0: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for
2: all. All right, Um. so many different issues to get into this morning, and it's hard to, to know where to start. I, I guess I, where I'm going to start is, is with the international crisis, the war. Uh, that has been declared on uh, Ukraine by Russia, and what impact it has here in the United States first of all i i I know that this shouldn 't have to be said, but this is a bizarre, bizarre time in our culture, and it 's a bizarre time in our news coverage, just like the left wing media wants you to believe and wants all of us to believe that there are racists particularly white males attacking Asians to blame them for the China virus. Uh, That Asian hate crimes are up because we're mad that these Asians are responsible for the Wuhan laboratory that gave us the pandemic, the the COVID pandemic. Um, It's hogwash. It is hogwash. It's garbage. It's trash. It's not true. Is there an increase in crimes, period, against Asians, perhaps, but any more so than every other ethnicity or race in this country that is being enveloped by crime, particularly because of the leftist policies of district attorneys and judges who are not charging people, not locking them up, not holding them, not requiring cash for bail, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, there's a huge crime spike. I, I have yet to meet a person or read about a person online or anywhere else declaring that these Asian Americans here are responsible for the coronavirus that came from Wuhan, China. The Chinese Communist government is responsible. The, the, the partners with the Chinese Communist government here in the United States are responsible, and guess who those aren't? They aren't Asians, The only partner responsible here in the United States is Dr. Anthony Fauci, who greenlit the funding of the gain-of-function research in the Wuhan laboratory. So we're not beating up uh, uh, people based on their ethnicity because of something that their government did that is beyond their control. And likewise, I want people to understand that there is no rush of hate crimes against Russian people in the United States either. We don't blame the people of Russia for the actions of Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. We don't blame them. We don't hold them responsible for it. We don't beat them up for it because they happen to be here. The Russian people, there are some really, really wonderful, good Russian people who absolutely despise and 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 deplore what their leadership, what Vladimir Putin is doing. In fact, the ones who are in Russia... Are, are making those protests known, and they're being arrested for it, and Lord only knows what's happening to them then. But here in the United States and elsewhere around the world, uh, Russians need to be treated with the respect that, that comes with people who are essentially being, um, I don't want to say hamstrung, but I guess hamstrung by the actions of their government. Their own personal quality of life is being affected by the actions of the government, of the country from which they hail. And I say that just to point this out. A Russian government representative apologized to the nation of Ukraine and said there was no justification for his country's invasion uh, during a meeting of climate scientists and governments uh, two days ago on Sunday morning during the final session of a two-week online meeting to approve Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's latest blockbuster climate report. That's the IPCC, and I'm not going to get into the merits of the report. That's not what this is about. But the head of the Moscow delegation uh, Oleg Anisimov, if I'm saying it correctly, or Anisimov maybe, said in Russian, quote, "First of all, let me thank Ukraine and present an apology on behalf of all Russians who were not able to prevent not able to prevent this conflict. All of those who know what is happening failed to find any justification for this attack against Ukraine." End quote. And that's large. That's large. That Russian citizens, people have nothing to do with the military, nothing to do with the government, even though in this, this particular case, I mean, he did represent the government because, and in fact, that made it even much more, you know, I think, um, impressive that a member of Putin's government, even though it's in the climate delegation, uh, literally went against Putin and said there is no justification for what is being done to Ukraine right now and apologized for. I think that's large. And I think the Russian people, um, need to hear that from us too. We don't blame them. We don't blame them. And I don't know. I'll just give you this quick one here before we go to the break. I don't know if you saw or heard this. Um, It was in Russian, of course. But um, there was an apology given. Not an apology. Let me rephrase that. The apology is the one that I just told you about. This was a note, a text message sent from a Russian soldier who was on the battlefield, if you want to call it that, in the assault on Ukraine with his mother. It's a text message uh, captured via screenshot, a text message between the soldier and his mother. Now, this was read um, in Russian uh, in, a, in, a, in a speech, uh, and I'm trying to find the, the context here and figure out where the speech was, but I guess it doesn't matter. It's the content that matters here. But this was read in Russian and then transcribed, of course, by the translator. And this is what it said, because it's heartbreaking. The exchange, I'm quoting now, the exchange was with his mother, I'm sorry, not quoting. The exchange was with his mother who had no idea that he had been sent into Ukraine. Now I'm quoting the text. Mama, I'm in Ukraine. There is a real war raging here. I'm afraid we are bombing all of these cities together. Even, even targeting civilians. We were told that they would welcome us, and they are falling underneath our armored vehicles, throwing themselves under the wheels and not allowing us to pass. Mama, this is so hard. End quote. And it was right after that text message was sent, says the report, that he was killed. His mother believed that he was doing training exercises in Crimea which is, of course, the territory that they annexed the last time we had a Democrat president in our White House. They annexed Crimea in 2014 on Barack Obama's watch. And this soldier had told his mother he was training in Crimea. That's all it was, so that she didn't have to worry. She had no idea he was sent to Ukraine to engage in the invasion to be a part of the war until he sent that text message and then got killed. So, again, why am I bringing this up? There are Russians who want nothing to do with this. There are Russians in the Russian military who want nothing to do with this. They are all bowing at the feet of the strongman dictator, Vladimir Putin. And that is what makes this so dangerous. They're all afraid to cross him. So that's just a little bit of a take, kind of a human side of the story of this war going on in Ukraine. I've got a lot more to talk about coming up right after this AM 1420. The answer. Okay, nine twenty-five. We'll continue on AM 1420 the answer. So um here's the other element of this. The other element of this is Russia is is being embarrassed right now. And I'm gonna to talk to Kersino about this in much more depth at 1010. Don't forget Dr. Sherry Tenpenny's coming up here in about uh, ten minutes. But at 1010 we're gonna talk more about this. Vladimir Putin is, as we know, a dictator, a murderer, a former KGB agent who is responsible for Lord only knows how many deaths. And we know that he is um, dictatorial, at uh, the risk of being redundant. And the other thing is, he is, is extraordinarily narcissistic. Pride doesn't begin to cover it. He's narcissistic. And guys like that don't like to be embarrassed. Right now, Vladimir Putin is being embarrassed. Right now, the Ukrainian resistance is is extraordinary. It's far, far, far more resistance than he ever thought that he would get. He thought they would roll in and take Kiev by this past weekend. Here it is now, and they have not taken any major city in this land grab of theirs and the strength of the Ukrainian people is being shown and the willingness of other nations around Europe and here on North America from the United States to, to arm the Ukrainians, to provide them with more weaponry to defend themselves, which is exactly what is happening, um, might indicate that Russia might have to tuck tail and turn and go back home. Except for the fact that, again, this is a narcissist we're talking about. This is, this is a man, Vladimir Putin, I think who would rather, if he's going to lose, if he's going to be defeated, he would rather go out um, making as much noise as he possibly could on the way. You know what I mean by that. He has already put his nuclear forces, his nuclear agents, on high alert. Would he detonate a nuclear weapon in Ukraine or aim it elsewhere rather than suffer through the ignominy of, a, of, a, of an embarrassing defeat by a supposedly undermanned, much smaller neighbor that they tried to invade and, and, and just crush? I don't know what he would do, but what I do know is they are already using bombs and weaponry that violates international treaties that have been in place for decades. For decades and the president of Russia President Zelensky or excuse me of Ukraine President Zelensky is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. He is imploring his people to fight with everything they have. He is making national speeches he is getting uh, he is getting standing ovations. The rest of the world is with him. the rest of the world is marveling you had Ukrainians who fled the country in advance of the war now seeing what's going on and then turning around and going back saying I'm gonna go back and fight the Russians too. the momentum belongs to Ukraine. In the face of all of this, and what would a desperate dictator do rather than suffer a humiliating national defeat, international defeat? Uh, Lord only knows. We, We really don't. In his address, President Zelensky last night in Ukraine said there will definitely be an international tribunal against Russia. I can promise you Vladimir Putin is never going to stand for any kind of an international trial or accept international consequences. That's never happening. That's never happening. And if they have to use every weapon in their arsenal to prevent that from happening, I don't necessarily think it would be something that you, you, um, you, you take off the table. You just say, no, that'll never happen. Because unpredictability is what... And, and you know, I'll, I'll say this, and it's, it's a little bit bizarre, but unpredictability is what makes other nations fearful. Other nations fearful of the actions of that unpredictable leader. They just don't know what he's going to do. That's how we feel right now. And I will say it again, that's why if President Trump was still in office, this would not be happening. President Trump was unpredictable, in a different way, because he was not an imperialist. He was not somebody trying to go in and take other people's land and overrun it. But he was unpredictable, and that's exactly why Vladimir Putin would not be doing what he's doing right now. Because you know what Joe Biden is? If nothing else, very predictable. All right, we'll take a time out of here for the bottom of the hour news. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about another international crisis, and that is a globalist response to pandemics and world health emergencies. It's on the table with the World Health Organization. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny's is going to tell us all about that, and maybe what our response should be to that coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. <music>
0: American Dream always right with Bob France on AM 1420 the answer
2: okay 936 AM 1420 the answer on a Tuesday Kirsten out coming up as i mentioned after the top of the hour we'll talk to him about Russia we'll talk to him about Ukraine we'll talk talk to him about the uh, state of the union address i don't know if a president has ever given a first state of the union address with lower approval ratings with more of americans hating him uh, than what Joe Biden is facing tonight. It's going to be a remarkable thing to see. We'll get Chris thoughts about that. But I want to talk about a global situation right now, something that we should not have to deal with, quite frankly, in an America first world, but we are going to have to deal with, particularly as it pertains to global pandemics uh, and uh, international health emergencies. These are all the things that they call the COVID-19 uh, uh, virus. And the World Health Organization is apparently ready to put together an international treaty of which the United States would be a part? A treaty on pandemic prevention and preparedness. What would that mean? I can only speculate. Let's see what Dr. Sherry Tenpenny thinks about that. Dr. Tenpenny, good to have you back on our program. How are you this morning?
3: I'm fine, Bob, and thank you so much. Thank you so much.
2: Well, you and I talked uh, uh, last week, actually, about this, and it piqued my interest, and I looked up a few things about this international uh, treaty, and uh, wow, um, I-, I have to admit, I am, I'm very, very concerned. It's one thing for us to be told by our government that we don't have the freedom to make our own medical decisions in the face of a quote-unquote pandemic. It's another thing if we start to be told by international governments what we have to do with our bodies and how we have to respond in the face of a health emergency. What can you tell us about this?
3: Well, it's not the first time that they've tried to do this, Bob. I mean, this started back in 2005 with bird flu when they started talking about covered countermeasures and global pandemic preparedness and that we needed to work together as a unified world with 194 members of the World Health Organization and all of the different countries that they represent. And so this has been in the planning for a really long time. It just appears as though they are at the point of developing this intergovernmental body that will hold its first meeting today, as a matter of fact, in order to work up timelines and ways that they can further... They, it will just be like um, COVID-19 uh, steroids or COVID-19 2.0. It will, be, it will be harsher. It will be more controlling. There will be all of the economic uh, sanctions that will be on an individual basis. Um, there will actually be a, a way that they can control how we spend our money it will be controllable currency and they will tell you at what stores you can spend your money how much at a time you can you can spend and that just all couples in with the Chinese social credit scores
2: So, the social credit scores I was talking about that a little bit yesterday as well, and there are a number of other things that are, that are going to be factored into that what what is the um, responsibility of or what do you expect the response of the United States to be with this if I mean the World Health Organization can call for this treaty, but every member of the nation would have to sign on um, is it a, is it a given that the United States would do so
3: I would say and this is just my personal opinion yeah that given the current administration that we have and how they and how they have been so heavy-handed here unnecessarily in many of our states i believe they will be lockstep with this treaty
2: do you believe that they would be just following along with what the world health organization leadership decides should be in the treaty or would we be a a charter member actually carving out the policy whatever it is
3: well, if it, it says in the in the article about the World Health Assembly, they reached them. Um, the 194 members reached consensus to kickstart this process. I'm sure. I believe that the United States is one of those 194 members, and you know they've all they've always gone along with the pandemic uh, preparedness plan. I remember back in 2005 when I I wrote this book called "A Bird Flu It's Not What You Think." In, it was in 2005 and I went to Washington DC multiple times to, for the, for the pandemic, uh, planning committees that they were launching there. And it was, you could see where this was going even way back in 2005. And now that they have the World Economic Forum at the helm and they've pulled this off globally and they've got the young global leaders all locked up with it. I mean, I, I don't see that the U.S. would suddenly go, wait a minute, we're not going to do this treaty. We're going to do our own thing because it's already so entrenched at such a global level. I, I just think that we're just going to go right along with it.
2: I want to read a quote here from this article. Doctor. We're talking with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and uh, we're talking about uh, what could be an international or global response to future health emergencies. Um, this is the joint call for an international pandemic treaty, and I believe this quote comes from the president of the European Council, Charles Michel. Um there will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. The question is not if, but when. Together, we must be better prepared to predict, prevent, de- detect, a- assess, and effectively respond to pandemics in a highly coordinated fashion. To that end, we believe that nations should work together toward a new international treaty for pandemic preparedness and response. Uh, I'm going to ask again, kind of, you know, more, more directly, do you believe that this body, through this treaty, would be able to order all of the citizenry of member nations to take steps that are in violation, perhaps, of their own constitutional rights, uh, guaranteed them in their nations. In other words, would would somebody in in Davos be able to tell us get the jab or lose your job the way Joe Biden did? I, I
3: believe if I re, if I, I believe that the treaty international treaties carry that level of weight. You know, treaties are at the highest level of. Of global interaction and the way that they respond to things together in lockstep, I think that they would be able to make this, these dictums because that's where this initial funnel for um, bird flu, for swine flu, for H1N1, and now for the corona pandemic—all you know, all three of them now—the the, it's the World Health Organization at the helm initiating the steps that would need to be done in order to contain the, the global pandemic. And so they were the ones initially, if you recall, pushing the mask. They were the ones who contrived the, con- the concept of social distancing. They were the ones who uh, were pushing all of the testing, 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 that we stopped having a, pa- a, a, a pandemic and we started to have a case-demic. So they're at the helm of this. And I I, I, I would think that any, any member nation that signed on to the treaty – would be bound by the conditions of that treaty in order to shut down the global spread of what the World Health Organization perceives as a pandemic threat.
2: Dr. Tenpenny, let's talk about uh, how they would track us uh, with respect to these types of um, requirements. Um, there is something called the AIRA, the American Immunization Registry Association. I don't like it by its title. Uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about that?
3: Well, and I don't like it by the fact that it just got set up. I mean, if you go to their website, it's the American Immunization Registry Association. That's copyright the word I don't 2022. Like. Exactly. And copyright on their website is 2022. Well, we're only 60 days into 2022. And they've already got national meetings set up. They've got uh, one sheet for their partners on how to do this. And so the tracking mechanisms are not going to go away. And we may we may differ and quibble on the word of of having your COVID pass or your vaccination pass, but I believe if I remember right, there's already 26 states. If I I read somewhere else, that was talking that have already got these these things in place. It's just a matter of pulling the triggers, and so they'll. You'll go with your phone or your little uh, uh, iPad sort of thing. It'll have all of your immunization records, your registry on it, that that's how you will buy, sell, trade, how you'll go into the grocery store, determine what you're going to buy, what you're going to be able to participate in. This has been a big multinational global organization that's been in place for at least five years, planning out the technology to be able to track our every move.
2: Now what you're talking about now is something I brought up actually right. on yesterday's show um and and that is the Smart Health Card that's what it's called is the right. Smart Health Card to date uh as of let's see the date of this is da, 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 the 24th so as of uh what Five days ago, 21 states, along with the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, had uh, offered, and this is the key word here, offered accessibility to the smart health card, a verifiable digital proof of vaccination through the VCI, the Vaccination Credential Initiative. Uh, And this is something people can choose to get, which would be that QR code that says, they, they say rather, that it has only your name, your birth date, and your vaccine status. That's it, that it doesn't carry any other health information. So they're trying to alleviate the concerns of people who say that your health records are going to be an open book to anybody who scans your QR code. But, Dr. Tenpenny, what I'm conf- concerned about, perhaps even more than that, is not just what it says. But it can track where we go, what we do, our decisions, our personal privacy are now going to be all, uh, you know, an open book again. Because if the government can track uh, um, through that QR code whether or not you have been vaccinated and what places you try to access, well, then they can pretty much track your every movement.
3: That's exactly right, Bob. And here's the other thing. Like all of these government programs, look back at all of them. (laughs) pick, Pick one. They're all the same. And think about the, the level of project creep. So they can just start out by saying, listen, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just your name and your vaccination record. Oh, but then the next one that comes out, well, we want to make it more convenient for you to be able to, to uh, go to the grocery store. All you'll mm-hmm. have to do is scan this QR code. Oh, look, the next thing, you want to get on an airplane? It shows all of these different places of where you've been. I mean, it's project creep. This is just a way to get the sleeping sheeple public that are just, so willing to just follow whatever the the government is telling them that there's nothing to be concerned about don't worry it doesn't have your record on it it may not on the first version but i can pretty much assure you that it will on subsequent subsequent versions
2: no question about it and and i don't want to get all crazy conspiratorial here which is what many who think that what we're talking about already is is laughable but you know what happens when i try to go to the grocery store and i need that qr code to get in and oh crap my phone's dead Or, oh, crap, I left my phone at home on the charger. I can't get in now. That's going to lead to, or you tell me, this is what my fear is, well, maybe we should make it more convenient so you can't forget it. You can't leave your QR code behind because you left it in the car or in the house or whatever. We'll just put a little chip. It'll be right under your skin. That way you'll never leave home without it. You'll never be denied access anywhere. It's a service. We're providing to you for convenience so you don't have to worry about remembering your QR code. 100%
3: A hundred percent correct. I mean, they're already doing it, and, and and they've already been trialing that in Sweden and a couple of other countries to just show how easy it is to just have this little this little uh, fob, so to speak, underneath your skin. So it'll eventually it's eventually walking down the path that you will have to have this chip, and it's so convenient to just have it in your hand because, like you said, Bob, um, people will never have to worry about losing it or leaving it home or or the, your phone being dead. Let's just make it easy for you to get to the biblical place where they talk about there will come a time with until you have the mark of the beast, whether that's a literal mark, whether that's a chip, whether it's um, the social credit stores, that you will not be able to buy, sell, and trade unless you have this. And we're walking right up to the door and knocking
2: on that. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring up Mark of the Beast in the Book of Revelation, only because, like I said, people already think that we're conspiracy nuts for talking about what we are. But, but yes, there is the biblical element there that we're talking about. But aside from that, even if it didn't say that in the book, uh, you know, the the idea that we would lose our privacy to the point where somebody would take that uh, that chip underneath their skin and uh, give full access to their whereabouts and what they are doing to the government is um, is a st- is just it's uh it's terrifying quite frankly here's
3: the thing people can call it conspiratorial all they want and they only call it that because it doesn't fit into their into their box and it causes them to have cognitive dissonance and the cognitive dissonance that has been created all, all along the way is just crazy and you know because we we it doesn't matter how many facts you show people you can show people the patents, the patent numbers you can show them the experiments. you can show i mean i have a a uh, a presentation that i do that that takes that looks at um that i found a book that goes all the way back into nineteen to 1956 and that book says that um i just want to read you a sentence it says this was from 1956 the name of the book was called the rape of the mind uh, uh it was written by joyce neurlo who was a professor of psychi- psychi- psychiatry he said it is now meaning in 1956 technically possible to bring the human mind into a condition of enslavement and submission. The The tragic fact is that the political experiences in our age make it all too clear that applied psychological techniques can brainwash entire nations and reduce their citizens to a kind of mindless robotism, which becomes for them a normal way of living. We now, 1956 have the knowledge to enslave people in ways never dreamed of before, controlling them by means so carefully selected that they will perhaps never be aware of their loss of personhood. And that was written in 1956 in, in, uh, in that book and another uh, article in Science Magazine. How yes. much further along are they on today? And these are not that's not conspiracy. I mean, it doesn't matter what facts you seem to show people, if it causes them Uh, cognitive dissonance or they don't want to believe it, they label it conspiracy which
2: it's not no you're you're right and 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 my whole thing is i don't want to play to the cognitive di- dissonance here I, I, I essentially just want to say aside from the thinking that we're just radical bible thumpers looking at the book of revelation there's no beasting yada 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 let's just look at it from a common sense standpoint from a practical standpoint exactly. do you want the government to see where you are at all times because you have a chip in your body that every time you pass by who knows where they're going to mount trackers they're going to be on lampposts. They're going to be on every corner. They're going to, be, you know what I mean? There's, there's so much danger there. You don't have to uh, be looking at it from a religious point of view or anything else. Dr. Tim Penny, we're going to wrap it there. I wanted to ask you about the uh, plunging uh, market values of uh, Moderna and Pfizer in terms of stocks, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, and I would ask you before we go to please, please send me that quote. That was phenomenal. I'm going to make great use of it. Okay?
3: Okay. I will. appreciate thank it. Thank you, Bob. Doctor Sherry Tenpenny,
2: mm-hmm. thank you so very much for what you do. That's Doctor Tenpenny. It's nine fifty-two. We'll take a time out right now and uh, back with a couple of calls on AM fourteen twenty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nine fifty-five
3: on
2: a Tuesday. Peter Kersenow coming up after the top of the hour. now is going to talk about Ukraine, Russia, the impact on the United States, energy, costs, life. Also going to ask Peter Kersenow to talk about the new Supreme Court justice nominee put forth by uh, uh, Joe Biden in a very, very weird time frame. Uh, so we'll get into that uh, coming up as well. And then uh, we're also going to talk to Pete. Uh, this morning about the State of the Union address and what we can expect tonight from President Brandon. He and his 37% approval rating will address the nation. And somehow try to find a way to tell you that everything is good. Everything is fine. All is well. All is well. Uh, yeah, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the animal house there. But I mean, really, in, in all seriousness, that wh- what's he going to do? How is he going to stand there like Kevin Bacon an animal house and tell us that all is well, all is well he's going to try, but I just i it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out for you because if there's one word and I'm going to steal this from Senator Ted Cruz who tweeted yesterday the state of the Union under President Biden can be summed up in one word: crisis right now he was inaugurated january twenty twenty one It's now March 2022, so we'll give it 13 months-ish. In 13 months, here's what we have. Inflation crisis. Border crisis. Afghanistan crisis. COVID crisis. Supply chain crisis. Crime crisis. And now, Ukraine crisis. I mean... I, 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 don't think it's, I don't think it's a bridge too far to say that I can't think in 13 months of one thing that Joe Biden has done well. One area of your life or mine that has been improved by something Joe Biden did, by a Biden policy. Nothing. Nothing. Every element of what I just read to you from the Ted Cruz tweet is true. So what can he possibly say tonight? We'll talk to Chris now about that after the top of the hour. Charlie's in Westlake. Hey, Charlie, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call.
0: Good show. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I was thinking, I was listening to, to Trump over the weekend at the CPAC, and he did say something that was interesting to I me. Mean, he said, until the media stops being the enemy of the people, this isn't going to change. And I'm going, how are we going to change this mass media from being anti-American? And I'm thinking the root is they all go to these liberal journalism schools that promote this stuff. They're just constantly promoting anti-Americanism. And he's right. The next candidate, if it's not him, they're going to attack him the same way because they're anti-American. And I'm really not sure how you change it other than change the college structure, you think.
2: (laughs) Um, well, the the structure, the, you're right about the journalism schools, uh, but they don't even need to get that indoctrination in the journalism schools. They get it as soon as they get on the job, quite frankly. If you look, and thank you for the call, my friend, if you look at the um, polls that are done, the surveys that are done, usually anonymously, of newsrooms, that means the biggest newspaper newsrooms, New York Times, Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, and, yes, the network news. And they ask them uh, and, and chart, you know, uh, uh, who they prefer, what they register as, what they consider themselves to be party-wise. It's always 90 to 95% Democrat. Ask who, uh, to whom they have given money, campaign contributions, donations, and it's 90 to 95% Democrat candidates. It's obvious. Uh, it's clear. Um, Does it come from the universities? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Like I said, the universities in a general sense, not just the uh, journalism schools, are cranking out little leftist, socialist, damn near Marxists at an alarming rate already. I don't know if journalism schools are any different, but even if they're not, the moment they get on the job, they, they get turned. They get turned. I can tell you, talking to a long time, actually more than one, long-time Cleveland television news personality. And I'm not going to give anybody's messaging away here, violate any confidence, but... I have talked to more than one Cleveland television personality who could not wait for their contract to end so they could they could get out. They had no idea they were walking into an echo chamber of leftist ideas and ideals. And any time discussions were made of the politics, the politicians that they cover on those news programs, etc., uh, any point that these individuals made that I spoke with uh, that favored Republicans or conservatives or in any way were negative toward the leftists uh, they were met with scorn, they were isolated they were ostracized, they were kicked to the side, made to feel like they didn't belong and they couldn't wait to get out of there so in the news game Charlie, you either go along to get along or you get out that's the way that it is Curse now after the news AM 1420 The Answer Always Right